0: You're listening to a Bellingcat Discord server stage talk titled How Fascism Works. The talk features Dr. Jason Stanley, a philosopher, author, and the Jacob Orozco Professor of Philosophy at Yale University. Dr. Stanley joined us in the Discord server to talk to us about his book, How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them. Dr. Stanley provided an overview of what he calls the 10 tactics of fascist politics and connected them to world events today. This stage talk was hosted by Charlotte Mayer on the Bellingcat Discord server on May 25th,
1: 2023. We are very, very lucky Uh, because today we're joined by Dr. Jason Stanley, the Jacob Uroski Professor of Philosophy at Yale University. Jason's academic career spans over two decades and I had seen him lecture in the field of philosophy at Cornell University, the University of Michigan Ann Arbor, Rutgers University and most recently Yale. Jason has published five books, including 2018's How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them, in which he lays out the foundations of fascist politics, giving us all the tools with which we can recognize fascism wherever it may be rearing its head. How Fascism Works was chosen by our community as the May book for our book club, and Jason is here to talk to us about it. Jason, thank you very much for coming to talk to us all today. The microphone is yours, so to speak. Uh, just as a small reminder, as you're talking, I'm going to be taking notes of comments. So if anybody has any co- questions while Jason's talking, please put them in the chat and we have a and a afterwards. Thanks so much, Jason.
2: Thank you. And it's an honor to be speaking at Bell & Cat, whose work has been just tremendous, uh, so vital for against the authoritarian movements we face worldwide. So uh, so what I'm going to do today uh, is is sort of summarize my book by going through these 10 tactics of, uh, of fascist politics. Uh, and what I'm going to uh, try to do is sort of uh, connect them to world events today uh, as I connected in 2018 when I wrote the book, the events Uh, to to the analysis to world events now. What we have now is roughly an acceleration of the processes I I looked at in 2018. Uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary is more powerful than ever. Uh, Ron DeSantis is an authoritarian here trying to bring Viktor Orban's politics straightforwardly to the United States. Um, So we have now a kind of internationalization uh, of uh, I mean, an even greater internationalization than what we saw in 2018. <clears throat> so uh, now I think of fascist politics, some clarificatory remarks. When you talk of fascism, people will will often do this non sequitur. say, we don't have a fascist regime, uh, so what are you talking about? Now, the literature on totalitarianism, fascism, authoritarianism, especially fascism, always distinguishes fascist social and political movements from fascist regimes. So you can have a fascist social and political movement in a democratic regime. For example, the Nazi Party was a fascist social and political uh, movement in the Weimar Republic, a Nazi regime. So if someone says, well, you can't talk about fascism because we, we, we don't have a fascist regime, you can say, well, we have a fascist social and political movement. <laughs> so Hannah Arendt, in her book Origins of Totalitarianism, she has different chapters, one for uh, uh, totalita- to- totalitarian movements, and where she's really analyzing fascism, not totalitarianism, uh, fascist movements, and one for fascist regimes, which she, that chapter is called Totalitarianism and Power. And once, once a fascist social and political movement moves into power, it looks very different. Because instead of inveighing against power, now it has power. And when it has power, uh, it, it has to represent law and order, so it can no longer say, oh, law and order is collapsing, you need us to restore law and order. Um, a lot of the times, fascism and power, as Hannah Arendt uh, discusses disassociates itself from the street-level violence that brings it to power. So so it will wink and nod at the street-level power, uh, street-level violence. Um, you know, when Trump in his speech in the Ellipse says, uh, says, fight, 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 go to the Capitol and fight, 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 uh, but fight, you know, but we're going to peaceably, peaceably go to the cap- Capitol. He's separating himself off from the one thing that any reasonable person would take him to be recommending because he's saying overturn the election but somehow do it peacefully even though there's only thirty thousand of you so uh so so the only reasonable interpretation of that is do it violently which is but fascism and power regularly separates off from that kind of violence um so fascist politics is the topic of my book not fascist regimes not fascist movements but rather fascist politics, how you use a kind of structural framework to win elections in a democracy. So many fascist social and political, fa- fascist social and political movements often are there in order to win power in democratic societies after which they can really take over um, a mild version of which we're seeing in Florida now. Where you see mass voter suppression, uh, takeover of the schools, destruction of the universities, uh, that sort of thing. Okay, now I'm going to start. So the analysis is of fascist politics, um, not of fascist regimes. Uh, now I'm writing a book called "Schooling for Fascism," which is because all over the world, when you when fascist uh, when fa- when you see fascist movements arise or tend take power, they target the schools. Um, the first thing they do is they go after the universities. Uh, then they go after the public education system. And they change the schools in order to make fascist politics more effective. So uh, when, you, when you go to a, a school that tells you that white Christians have always the greatness of America is because of white Christians, then you're going to be prepared for a message that is going to uh, make you feel suspicious of minorities, of, of, say, black Americans who try to displace um, white rule. Okay. So now I'm going to go... So that's my new project, uh, uh, fast, uh, Schooling for Fascism. And it's already part of my original analysis here. So uh, So... So, for instance, um, in Lisa Pine's book, Nazi Education, she stresses how one part of the Nazi party's run for power. Remember, the Nazi party was just a part, a, a normal party in a democracy, in a parliamentary democracy, vying for power. And when they ran, they ran against LGBT. They ran against Jews, of course, but they actually toned that down because they didn't want to seem too extreme. They toned down their, their sort of genocidal anti-Semitism of Hitler uh, in the run-up to power, focusing on LGBT. Um, of course, there were gay Nazis, the SA, Stromabteilung, uh, but they were uh, killed in the night of long knives because then the Nazis became harshly anti-gay. But they targeted uh, Magnus Hirschfeld's uh, Institute for Sexuelle Wissenschaft, Which was a sort of um, which which attacked the rigid gender categories. Uh, Fascism is always very strongly for rigid gender categories, Um, and then they attacked the aggressive educational ideas of the during the Weimar Republic. They said they're trying to poison your children, brainwash your kids. So uh, okay, so in uh, so now my work is going into. Uh, investigating the things that make fascist politics effective. Um, Final thing before I talk is, before I go into the analysis in the book and briefly summarize it, is that my work is very strongly based in the black American tradition. Uh, There is an almost century-long, well, since the 1930s, black Americans uh, have been using the term fascism to describe Jim Crow. Um, Jim Whitman's book, which I have here somewhere, um, uh, 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 Hitler's American model is about how the Nazis, uh, the Nazis used the Jim Crow laws as a basis for the Nuremberg laws. So the Ber- Nuremberg laws create two tiers of citizenship, ar- those of Aryan blood and those, of non- those not of Aryan blood, like my father, who was living in Berlin at the time as a child, and it, and it removes citizenship from those of non-Aryan blood. Similarly, Jim Crow, and, and it makes illegal marriage between those of Aryan blood and those of non-Aryan blood. Uh, now, the Nazis considered, now the Jim Crow laws illegalized marriage between whites and blacks, where black was defined as having one drop of black, quote-unquote, blood. Uh, the Nazis decided that was far too extreme, uh, and so, uh, which you know it was. So the Nazis were not, in the 1930s, anywhere near as extreme as Jim Crow. Um, in fact, so much so that many G- German Jews, like my family, thought it was kind of safe to live there and wait out the Nazis. Um, and it was black Americans, as Glenda Gilmore shows, who were raising the alarm about what the Nazis were going to do to Jews throughout the 1930s. They were like, we, we know this. Langston Hughes, the black American poet and intellectual, when he went to his math, uh, uh, as um, there's a new book by a Dartmouth historian, I believe, where Langston Hughes goes to Paris in 1937 and essentially says, don't lecture us about fascism. Fascism is Jim Crow with a German accent, uh, with a foreign accent. So so the word fascism comes from the Italians. But let's be clear, uh, you know, Paxton says that the first Ku Klux Klan is the first functionally fascist organization. So there is a long history of black Americans calling... Fascism—the fa- calling what they see, specifically Jim Crow, uh, racial fascism. Uh, now, fascism is always dependent upon a certain version of nationalism. Uh, in the case of Russian nationalism, topic of a lot of Bellingcat's work, uh, it's uh, in the case of Russian fascism. So Russia is the most clearly fascist state right now. Um, uh, the and with Putin being the most clearly fascist leader. Uh, for decades, um, uh, Russian fascism, uh, uh, uh racism as the Hungarian, as the, uh, Ukrainians call it, is based on Russian nationalism and it's linguistic nationalism because, you know, they think Ukrainians are Russian. So it's actually a linguistic nationalism, which is interesting because Hannah Arendt says, uh, fascism only becomes genocidal when it's racial in nature and i think russia is showing us that's not true linguistic nationalism can also be genocidal in nature um so so point 1 is this is not based on you no know, i'm a, i'm a proud american <laughs> I, I i i think americans uh are responsible for a lot of things and fascism is one uh so uh, so um so i think and the fight against fascism is something that we you know Arguably, the civil rights movement is the only uh, is the it's the only time that fascism has been faced down uh, without a war. Um, so that that was uh, so now. Final. So people are always like, "Well, it's not exact." People aren't speaking Italian here. How can it be fascism? So that is just not. I mean, the Black American tradition has always used the term fascism for for. Uh, for uh, for what black Americans have faced from white supremacy. Now, what is the form of fascism, of American fascism? What is the nationalist base? The nationalist base is white Christian nationalism. So the way that works is you say, is you say, oh, here are the founders. The founders were white men and they're white Christian men. And the founders make America great. So, uh, so, um by the way, I've, hit, I've tried to make myself non-findable, so I hope I'm not findable. <laughs> I have some websites, uh, some, but they're not updated. Uh, so uh, so, uh, so, fascism in America is based on white Christian nationalism. The way it works is you say, here are the great men of America, um, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and Abraham Lincoln, and hey, Uh, they are, (laughs) okay, sorry, don't try to find me. (laughs) I'm sure I'm findable everywhere for you guys. So, uh, so, um, so, so here, so what you do say in fascist education is you, is you present these great men and you say they're great, and you hint or say their greatness is due to their Christianity, their greatness is due to their whiteness. so now what we're seeing now is an increasingly uh multi-racial fascist movement in america and that's to be understood by looking at uh by by thinking of a base of christian nationalism so um so okay so with that without and then the final codicil is that it's very hard to generalize across fascist movements lots of fascist movements in some countries sometimes the basis like in the United States, has a strong religious element in India as well and in Israel. Israeli fascism is based on my religion, uh, in, uh, which, you know, Einstein, Hannah Arendt always warned that if you're going to base a country on an identity, there's a risk of fascism on an ethnic identity. Um, so, uh, So it's so if you take the two original European forms of fascism, Italian fascism and German fascism, as regimes, they look very different. Italian fascism looks more like, you know, what DeSantis is trying to do in Florida, take, go after the companies and the businesses, uh, uh, show that state power can crush the universities, state power can reorganize the schools, state power can... Uh, right, can can force people in line. Um, uh, German fascism was kind of a partnership. Hitler said to the corporations, "I'll leave you alone. Uh, in fact, I'll help you for your support. I'll crush the labor movement. I'll give you." Uh, yes, Ben Netanyahu is, is <laughs> neo-fascist. Um, so, so, um, so, so those. So the regimes of Italy and and uh, Nazi Germany look very different. Italy becomes very racial in the 30s, Uh, the invasion of uh, Eritrea, of of Africa, the colonization of Africa. But German fascism is completely racial from the beginning. German fascism is based on a hierarchy of race. But you can have that hierarchy be religious as well, as we're seeing in India, with Modi, with BJP, which is based on Hindu nationalism, which is based... uh, Indian Muslims... Uh, are the same race as Hindu Muslims, uh, but they're a different religion, and so what you have in India is a very explicit, uh, re- uh, f- uh, a very explicit uh, religious fascism. Uh, like is one of the common people in the chat pointed out. Franco is so uh, so. You know you sometimes distinguish the old right and the new right, which we're seeing in the United States very clearly. The new right. Uh, is like Nick Fuentes or or uh, the new right is like, well, we're not necessarily uh, Christopher Ruffo. Um, the new right is, it says, well, uh, well Ruffo, I think, the new right says, well, we're making an alliance with the old right social conservatives in order, because we're going to represent to them. You know, Donald Trump is himself obviously not a very pra- good practicing Christian, but he's saying, look, I'll get your agenda done for you. And you find Goebbels in speeches saying very much, very similar things. Nazis are not based on any kind of Christian nationalism, but they say to the old right, the Christian social conservatives, we're a better bet for you than uh, democracy. Democracy will bring in LGBT, will bring in abortion, will bring in Jews. Uh, We're going to crush all that uh, for you, even though we ourselves are not Christian. Okay. I'm going to briefly go through the 10 tactics of fascism in my book, uh, of fascist politics in my book. Uh, so um, so the first is the mythic past. You say, in the past, so remember fascism is based on a particular national group, um, white Christian nationalism in the United States, Hindu nationalism in India. So you say, in the past, we were great. Um, so, uh you know, all nationalism is based on a mythic past. Uh, uh, Benedict Anderson's book on nationalism is called Imagined Communities. So all nationalism is based on, on a mythic past. But the fascist mythic past is a very specific kind of mythic past. It says, our group is the greatest group in history. Um, I, I remember once I was speaking about fascism in Kiev, actually, in 2017. And people said... Uh, and I said, you know, uh, and I was making this point and I, I said, you know, if you say your country is your national group is the greatest national group in history, your language is the greatest language in history, your race is the greatest race in history. And they had great military conquests, etc., cetera. Uh, you know, that's fascist nationalism. And somebody raised their hand and said, uh, President, your President Obama said that constantly. <laughs> so, uh, so the United States has this kind of militaristic mythic past uh, in its structure that we are the greatest nation on earth, God chose us to be the greatest nation on earth. That's a super dangerous mythic past, a mythic past that just says, that just invents commonalities where there were none, which is most nationalisms is not particularly fascist. Okay. People spoke Polish there, people spoke Polish here. That's not particularly fascist. But particularly fascist would be, you know, we carved ourselves a a, a nation out of nothingness. Um you know, we we created this greatness out of nothingness. Uh and then, and we created these great civilizational accomplishments that nobody else can uh, can uh, can. We are great people, and and the minorities are trying to replace us and destroy our greatness. So the point of, Myth of the mythic past is to create this nostalgia for a time that never was, uh, when uh, and it's always patriarchal, uh, and that's patriarchy laces through fascism. Ruth Ben-Ghiat's book. Strongman is very good on this, uh, you know. Uh, uh, w- uh, which is not to say, um, you know, uh, that women can't be fascists. There were many women fascists. Women are very often simped for patriarchy, right? <laughs> uh, we know that in the United States, of course. So, uh, so, <clears throat> uh, so, the mythic past, and if you teach the mythic past in schools, then you prepare people for the major. Uh, structure of, of of the major propaganda structure of fascism, which is great replacement theory. You say, "Oh my God, the dominant group is going to be replaced by immigrants, by uh, by uh, by non whites here, uh, by Palestinians in Israel." Oh no, it's going to destroy our 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 way of being, our culture. What makes us great? Um, so the second uh, the second uh, characteristic is a certain kind of propaganda. All politics involves propaganda. Fascism is no different. Fascist politics is no different. But fascism, fascist politics involves a particularly ca- particular kind of propaganda. Uh, it it involves a particular kind of distortion of ideals. Um, so, uh, so one thing I found that was really interesting is that fascist social and political movements from the Ku Klux Klan to the National Socialists all claim that the current system is corrupt. And of course, the current system is always corrupt. So you know. uh, Bernie Sanders also claimed the current system is corrupt. And Bernie Sanders is not a fascist, uh, so he's a populist. Um, but what the charge of corruption means in the mouths of in, in fascist politics is that the wrong people are in charge women, minorities, uh people of the wrong religion, uh that the wrong the wrong people have power. And the fascist is gonna make sure that is gonna root them out and, and make sure they don't have power anymore. So for instance in Du Bois's Black Reconstruction, uh one of the greatest books of the last two hundred years, uh uh, it, uh Du Bois points out that the reason so reconstruction is a period around a decade after the civil war when where black black americans in the south were allowed to vote participate in the political process etc and then reconstruction was just shut down by jim crow so uh so so reconstruct so and the reason given for reconstruction so much so that i learned this in school and i'm 40 i mean i've been 40 for 13 years but uh but the the uh the uh you know I'm not 40, but, uh, but, uh, but I learned this, too, that the reason Reconstruction failed was supposedly because Black Americans weren't yet ready for democracy, that Black politicians and Black-run uh, municipalities were corrupt. And so you find this idea of corruption everywhere uh, in fascist politics, that, uh, that black, uh, black, you know, they, they take the vote from Black Americans in the South um, in order... Uh, because they say they're corrupt what does corruption mean the wrong people are in charge what does Trump say Trump says well there's voter fraud in cities with large black populations because you know those cities with large black po- populations they're all corrupt that continues a Jim Crow theme that is very old that it, it dates back to the end of Reconstruction this idea that uh, that black americans are immediately corrupt we're seeing this again and again in current uh in 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 current politics so the propaganda involves this kind of perversion of ideals all propaganda involves perversion of ideals but in the case of uh of fascist propaganda the perversion of ideals is kind of run through the the nationalism the jewish nationalism hindu nationalism white christian nationalism um so uh so so that kind of perversion of corruption is something you have to look for um the other thing fascists do is they always do projection constantly so the russians Russia's the clearest example of a fascist nation right now and russia calls ukrainians fascists it says ukraine is a nazi state when it's russia that's the fascist state um so uh Du Bois is American from Great Barrington, Massachusetts. His family lived in New Haven, where I am right now. They're buried in Grove Street Cemetery. He's not French. Um, So so the third aspect of fascist politics is to attack, is anti-intellectualism. Fascism is based on will. The idea is the leader is strong and powerful. He just knows what's right. He doesn't need to consult anyone. He's macho. He makes a real decision. He crushes the democratic processes. Democracy, remember, is something that involves concessions. We're supposed to all take each other into account. Uh, the, in fascism, it's about the leader's will. Um, you know, the leader knows what's right, and, and he represents the people. And it's anti-intellectual. So fascism always targets schools and universities. A bit more complicated with German fascism because there were a lot of fascists and Nazis in the schools. But it's still German fascism didn't get legitimated uh, until some prominent intellectuals like Martin Heidegger and Carl Schmitt became Nazis. Um, But fascism always involves attacking the educational ideas, attacking the universities, destroying the universities. Uh, Viktor Orban comes to power in Hungary, attacking Central European University, says it's filled with Marxists left. They're brainwashing your kids and left wing ideology. They're turning them gay. Um, So uh, so. So this attack on the universities happened in Russia, happened in, uh, in Hungary. It always precedes a fascist movement. The United States has the world's greatest universities. They're trying to take down our university system. Removing tenure in, in Texas, removing tenure in Florida will destroy those universities. And once you destroy those universities, you destroy uh, the basis for intellectual life, especially public universities, because you rob people from having the opportunity to study different perspectives. And so that's, that's the kind of goal. But it is a very interesting fact that fascist movements, especially now, all involve attacking professors and universities, authoritarianism. Because students, and this you see this in the United States in the early 70s, uh, under Ronald Reagan as governor of California, uh, they saw that there was a student movement. They saw that universities were the sorts of sources of student movements. And that's true everywhere. It's true in Turkey. It's true in India. Uh, universities are the sources of student movements, so they go after universities. They go after professors, and they go after the university itself. They try to transform it into a work- skills-based work- workplace. Like, we're just going to teach you job skills. We're going to go after the hum- sub- all the humanities, except for the ones that tell you great white men are the foundation of greatness. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, we will, uh, and we will just take down the universities. And my European friends are shocked by this, or my non-American friends, because like University of Texas Austin, one of the best universities in the world, but they're gonna take it down. Um, I mean, Orban forced a university that had built like a billion dollar campus in Budapest out of the country. So we're going to see more and more of that here. And the greatness of our universities, the fact that they're unquestionably the greatest, the greatest university system in the world, means nothing. DeSantis is showing that with Florida. He's going to, with Disney, he's saying, I don't care what Disney is doing. I don't care what Disney does economically. They're pro-LGBT. I'm going to destroy them. So we'll see more and more of that in the United States. So anti-intellectual. You run against the intellectuals. So, so it's very important when you hear the word elite, especially when you hear billionaires saying they're attacking the elite, like Elon Musk or something. How is Elon Musk not elite? Uh, how is Fox News not the media the media is supposed to be taken care taken over by the left so it's all nonsensical right what it means is this propaganda that it's filtered the wrong there are the wrong you know you don't want any left liberal left-wing media you want you want the main media sources all to be right-wing the wrong people are are, are running them uh so uh, okay the fourth the fourth um, is unreality conspiracy theories so the wide widespread conspiracy theories particularly great replacement theory um, that that the dominant group is somehow going uh, or and often men uh, oh, this works with patriarchy the status of men will be challenged and men will be replaced as the uh, as the uh, uh, as the sort of dominant group the uh, white people will be replaced um, white replacement theory this idea where you you spread but in general spreading conspiracy theories destroys a democratic information space A democratic information space is one where lying hurts you so uh, in democracy you're supposed to be able to speak truth to power what does that mean what that what that means is that if you're caught lying, it's humiliating, right? So it's supposed to be humiliating. So what you do in fascist politics is you destroy truth, you destroy any kind of uh, tracking of truth. So people have nowhere. So you can't speak truth to power anymore. I think this is what Musk has done with Twitter. You know, you try to destroy any way of tracking what's going on, and so, so you know, it doesn't matter anymore if people lie. Um, That's gone. And if it doesn't matter anymore when people lie, you can't speak truth to power. Um, Put on Bellingcat for trying to. Uh, uh, So so you have to, for democracy to survive, to thrive or even to survive, you need to be able to keep a democratic information space. The fifth principle is hierarchy. You say certain groups are better than other groups. Heterosexuals are better than LGBT. It should shock everyone what's going on with this with the attack i mean you know the the attack on like the florida's don't say gay bill which the florida school of the department of education has now extended to 12th grade think if you are the child of same-sex parents they're not allowed to represent your marriage your parents marriage in public schools uh they're not removing books that represent heterosexual couples right so They're removing the perspectives of LGBT um, because they want to say heterosexuals are on the top. And, you know, LGBT couples, that's obscene. People in in public schools should not be seeing uh, uh, heterosexual uh, couples. So hierarchy uh, here, uh, hierarchies could be a hierarchy of races, a hierarchy of religions, a hierarchy of genders, a hierarchy of sexual preferences. Uh, the sixth is victimhood. I mean, this gets me so annoyed because the, the far right is always talking about, you know, the, the social and political movement. So far right is the majority of the Republican Party right now. They're always talking about woke people and how, how they and they invoke victimhood. The worst whining about victimhood comes from the dominant group. You know, underlying, you know, Trump is always saying, uh, I I represent the forgotten man. I am your voice. The idea, he's always talking about the victimhood of white American men, white Christian American men. Your religion is dying. You can't say Merry Christmas anymore. You know, uh, you are a victim. Uh, Victor Orban said, Christians are the most victimized group in the world. So the hierarchy sets up the victimhood. Um. <clears throat> You know, it's always, one wonders always, is it the lying or is it the racism behind fascism? Uh, But they're two sides of the same coin because racism is a lie. So hierarchy, hierarchy, unreality, victimhood, they all play together. So, um, so, so the dominant group victimhood is like, first of all, it's incredibly hypocritical because they're always accusing minorities of victimhood. Um, But, uh, But secondly, um, they uh, are—you know—what drives it is this grievous sense of victimhood. So, you know, essentially, uh, most genocides start by claiming that your group is being victimized by the group that you want to kill. So, um, so victimhood. Seven is uh, is law and order, fascist law and order. It's really part of the propaganda analysis. I'll wrap up in like three, four minutes. Uh it's really part of the prop, uh, propaganda analysis. Fascist law and order means uh, means the dominant group is by nature uh, is by nature uh, uh, law abiding uh the The minority group is by nature likely to be criminal so uh, so you often create the conditions. Or, you know, Hannah Rent talks about this, she says, you know, immiserating refugees and sending them abroad thereby creates this large population of refugees of that group that makes people think badly of that group. Or immiserating black Americans and then so that they only have uh, you know, they they to get food they need to engage in crime creates criminality. Um, spreading guns. Uh, so so you create this connection between the minority groups and the uh the minority groups and uh and crime and criminality. So it's really just the minority groups running anything or the opposition party running anything they're corrupt and they violate law and order and even though it's your militias running around with guns uh, threatening people uh you are uh, you know, you're claiming you're the forces of law and order. Um, so uh, so fascist social and political movements, fascist leaders are always talking about law and order all the time, even though they're also ginning, handing out guns to militia groups and encouraging militia groups. Uh, so it's, it's like in the literature, people always compare fascist leaders to mob bosses. So you see that here. You know, the mob boss says, I'll make sure your restaurant is safe. And who is he making sure your restaurant is safe from his goons. Uh, so, uh, so then the eighth principle is, uh, is sexual anxiety. You make people feel like their children are in danger from sexual deviance. You say, you know, LGBT is a, is a, is a um, you know, gender ideology is a plot to poison your children's minds. We're seeing this all across the world um, right now. So, uh, so because gender, you know, you can't really target critical race theory in, uh, in countries with small black populations, or without a history of slavery, say. So gender ideology, gender ideology is what Viktor Orban used, it's what Putin uses. Putin is always talking about how the Ukrainians, you know, you see and Russian torture, uh, as we now know, uh, involves always like, oh, is it, are you parent one or parent two? Uh, trying to you know claim that the people that there's no gender roles and and fascist social and political movements especially the nazis always represented themselves as sort of the defense of traditional gender roles and the idea is that traditional gender roles are under attack you need a powerful macho man to protect you so uh so you know, the first big book burning, May 10, 1933, in Berlin, was the entire contents of Magnus Hirschfeld's Institute for Sexualwissenschaft, Institute for Sexual Science Research uh, uh, collection, which included the lo- world's largest collection of photographs demonstrating gender fluidity as well as a 20,000 book collection of LGBT perspectives. So the ban, specifically if you want to know if you're facing a fascist movement, the targeting and banning of books that normalize LGBT perspectives is a very good sign. So nine, Sodom and Gomorrah, there's always a rural urban thing going on in fascism. They're always like the real values, the real people live in the countryside. They work hard, unlike the people in the city who are corrupt and lazy and gay and are just like stealing your money in order to fund their decadent lifestyles. Were the you know were the protector of traditional rural values In Nazi Germany you know the, the the farmers the agricultural workers were held up as examples. It's the rural areas that represent the values of the country. I call that Sodom and Gomorrah. And finally, what's the relationship uh, between fascism and and uh, and work and capitalism? The idea. So in fascism the bad people, the targeted minorities, the immigrants, the Jews, the black Americans here uh, are always uh, lazy and criminal. Uh, And so the idea, so the, in Nazi Germany, the thought, the idea was Jews just made money off interest and were lazy and just lying around. Um, So, so they would, Nazi textbooks would show, soft hands supposedly soft hands of jews who hadn't done hard labor and the idea is real work is macho physical work industrial work manufacturing and this other kind of work is uh is is not really work and so fascism i said this earlier always targets elites but the elites are not the financial they're not the business elites they're not the billionaires they're the cultural and intellectual elites so always remember if someone's trying to direct you against the elites ask which elites. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so now fascism and capitalism have a strange relationship. Um, Nazism was very against capitalism as a global system because they're against all global systems. Um, but the Nazis represented themselves as the protector of private property against socialism. So fascism is always incredibly and harshly anti-socialist, anti-Marxist, anti-communist. Fascist parties always run by saying, by, by fascist politics always involves saying everyone else is a Marxist. Uh, institutions are dominated by, uh, by Marxists and we're going to end Marx. So we're going to protect private property. But the private property we're going to protect is the private property of the dominant group because the Marxists are targeting the private property of the dominant group for redistribution. And that's how they get the billionaires to support them, because they tell the billionaires, we're going to protect your money if you support us. Okay, that's the conclusion of my summary of of fascist politics.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you so much for that enlightening talk. Um, We're going to go into the Q&A part of the talk now. Um, We've got about 15 minutes. If you have any questions, please put them in the chat and i'll be going through them i've already taken a note of some of the amazing questions that have come through so far um and jason the first question actually comes from one of our staff members tristan uh who i know has particular interest in the far right and fascism um his question kind of draws upon something that you started talking about at the very beginning he said Within your framework, how do you conceptualize the relationship between fascist politics and mainstream politics, particularly in the United States? For example, when Hillary Clinton was pushing the super predator trope, was she doing fascist politics? Is, that, is it that some aspects of mainstream politics are inherent to mainstream American politics, even in neoliberal centrists like Clinton?
2: Oh, that's a great, great question. And my work always involves, you know, my work is... Uh, my work is, uh, since it's based in so much of the so much based in a Black intellectual tradition, uh, and I theorize mass incarceration constantly. Um, I would say yes. What you have you have elements. So there's terrific speech by Toni Morrison called "Racism and Fascism" from from 1995, where she's talking about fascist practices. And she says the United States is not a fascist country, but it has often preferred fascist solutions to national problems. So fascist solutions to national problems, She our examples she gives are imprisoning the uh, national members, the male members of the national minority. So what we saw in the 90s, cr- violent crime starts dropping rapidly in 1991. And yet since the Clintons tried to use the Southern strategy, the Repu- appropriate the Southern strategy of ending welfare as we know it, going after black crime, even though violent crime had been dropping like a stone since 1991. In, uh, in 1991, I think there were uh, 2,200 murders in New York City. Like in 2010, there were like 300. It was basically like, um, you know, people, you know, domestic violence, <laughs> reduced to domestic violence. So, violent crime in america has been in its, some of its lowest levels in recorded history but in the 90s even though it was dropping uh since the democrats the clintons joined the republicans in this vicious vilification of black americans uh like super, like you know the super predator theory nonsense remember the super predator theory theorists john de Di, Di, and vincent fox predicted a doubling of violent crime and then a doubling again In the next five years and instead it was the opposite so uh so yeah these are the fascist elements in american politics labeling black americans criminal uh saying you're going to be brutal to them after super predator theory 42 states adopted uh, uh laws charging juveniles as adults because of a nonsensical stupid theory based entirely whose predictions were based entirely on an increase in black male, in, a, in the black male population and, the, and a hypothesis that black people are somehow inherently more criminal. But yes, Hillary Clinton was engaging in fascist practices re, fa, in fascist politics then, without a doubt.
1: Thanks so much. Another question here from Van de Merisch. Uh, they ask, what are your thoughts on the class aspect of fascism, especially against low-income minorities? For example, in 1938, the Nazis unleashed two waves of arrests against allegedly work shy people, e.g., people on benefits.
2: Exactly. So, uh, the the uh, great question. Uh, So this is the last chapter of my book. Arbeit macht frei. Work shall make you free. The idea the the fascists fascists were like the people who should take care of you are the churches, the local communities, your families, not the state. Um, The state, you know, work is central. You know, the idea is the dominant group works the hardest. They're the workers. The Nazis, you know, as I as I said earlier. claimed that jewish people like myself were lazy um that's what you find always it's always the population to be targeted is criminal and lazy and so uh right i I also have passages in my book showing how you know hitler the nazis are leaning into uh you know the destruction of labor unions of so to to line up the business elite behind them and that's why and you find something very similar in the united states you find the same thing you find uh, the, the, you find the attack on labor unions. So in the South, uh, labor unions have been almost entirely destroyed uh, because labor unions uh, promote racial equality at their best. And so, uh, so you line up the business uh, community uh, behind the uh, the uh, be- behind you by attacking the labor movement. Or in the current iteration, it's the oil and gas industries. Uh, Because, you know, democracy is going to impose, you know, is going to uh, be concerned about in a democratic country, people are going to be concerned about climate change. So the business elite want to make sure the oil and gas community is protected from that. Um, But yeah, exactly. This concentration on work. The idea in fascist social political movements is we are the hard, we are the hard workers. They are the lazy ones.
1: Amazing. Thank you um Aaron asks and hi from berlin uh, Aaron asks, did your family history influence your decision to research into fascism um maybe you could talk a little bit about that especially for those who haven't read your book yet
2: uh yeah so so my great-grandfather was the uh cantor obakanta of the largest jewish congregation in germany in berlin the fazanenstraße synagogue which was uh, Leo Beck was the rabbi, and that was burned to the ground. Uh, it was burned uh, later. It was it was it was destroyed in the uh, personal order of Joseph Goebbels uh, in the Reichskristallnacht of uh, November 9th, 10th, 1938. My father was six at the time, in, living in Berlin, and my mother's family is from Eastern Poland. Uh, my mother uh, spent her first five years in Siberia because oh, they fled east and, and eight of my aunts, great-aunts and uncles were killed with all of their families uh, in Poland. Um, so, so, but I think the German side tells me very clearly that you know, this can happen anywhere. Uh, but I think, like, oddly, it was my mother's time, 44 years in criminal court in the United States, that, that helped me understand American racial fascism. Um, James Baldwin, in his, I believe, 1968 uh, essay, uh, Negroes are anti-Semitic because they're anti-white. Uh, he says, you know, you think you're closer to us because of your oppression in Europe, but we dislike you more because we know you're glad not to be us. And my mother was a court stenographer in the criminal courts here and would always say, oh, yeah, they're going to kill all the black people here. So, uh, you know, be be lucky that's not you. Uh, she was there in 100 Center Street during the Central Park Five case. That enraged her. You know, my mother is more like every country, they're going to kill somebody. Just try, try to make it not you. <laughs> and so, so my, my mother saw these clear parallels between American racism and what she experienced in Poland. When the returning Jews from Siberia came back to Poland in 1945, when, as my mom did when she was five, um, they experienced enormous anti-Semitism from the Poles who didn't want, who were worried Jews were going to retake their apartments and stuff. So she's, she's always said what ha- faces Black Americans reminds me of my experience in Poland right after the war.
1: Thanks so much for sharing. Erides, who's a longtime member of the Discord and often comments uh, in these stage talks, has asked, would the attacks to university schools be limited to utilitarian perspectives like nazi germany still had a strong engineering school for example or probably today with russia and the economics departments wouldn't this make them rather than being strictly anti-intellectual anti-science more like supporting only the research that confirms their views and then van der Meris added on to that how do neoliberal educational policies possibly mirror fascist policies given that the neoliberal view tends to reduce the range of valuable learning to utilitarian marketable subjects?
2: Wonderful. So wonderful set of questions. I'm dealing that with that in my book, Schooling for Fascism. So it's absolutely, you know, Paulo Freire says the literate person cannot be politically oppressed. That's a very rich conception of literacy. And it's to be opposed to the notion of literacy that says literacy is just decoding. It's just being able to like decode words. So universities are places in a democratic society. A university is a place where you learn to be a democratic citizen by learning about all the different perspectives in your society and learning about the history of your country in greater depth. Uh, Everyone in a democratic society, ideally everyone should go to university. That's why we have public universities and they're supposed to train you to be a, a Democrat neoliberalism and fascism are natural allies because they destroy that vision of democratic education without a democratic education there's no democracy so uh so what you've got is you've got an attack on uh democratic education you know let's not have anyone learn about what's the attack on critical race theory about well you know uh, the, the sort of mythical structure they want to construct here and they want to tell us about is that you know yes there was slavery yes there was jim crow but martin luther king ended racism so he's a hero he ended racism so there's no more racism and so there's no structural racism that's all nonsensical there are, our institutions aren't racist the fact that one part of your city is black and the other part the rich part of your city is white as in the city i'm in right now um uh, and uh, the, the, uh, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything about structures. And so people won't understand why there's black political protests and they'll respond with anger. Um, so that's the goal of what's happening now to get people to just be baffled by black political protests so they allow harsh crackdowns on it. So neoliberalism partners with us because it destroys democratic education. Neoliberalism doesn't care about democracy. It just cares about compliant workers and capital. And so uh, now, so that's neo, why, why neo, And then neoliberalism is going to need fascist mechanisms to suppress, say, black rebellion or labor unions. Uh, you find in the South, uh, you don't even need thugs to break up strikes. You can get the police to do it for you now. So, uh, so. Uh, So the question of neoliberalism's neoliberalism's relation to fascism is a very important one. Both of them are hostile to democratic education. Both just want skills-based education. You look at, like, Booker T. Washington and the industrial education that he is recommending is explicitly anti-democratic for black Americans, saying forget politics, forget Doing anything intellectual, just make money and, and work, um, because you're not going to be involved in running the country. It's the whites who are going to do that. So, uh, so these are the skills based stuff is all about an attack on democratic education. Um, uh, there was one other part of your question uh, that that uh... oh right. Um, uh it's uh what you uh say hitler and mein kampf was very pro-technology this is why as jeffrey herf puts it it was reactionary modernism the idea is you know like the rockets they were really into rockets i mean so was trump hilariously Uh, but the idea is you know science is going to be for the glorification of the nation it's just for the glorification of the nation but you know, what's happening in the United States with the attack on the greatest university system in the world, to me looks treasonous. Because it's like, we have the greatest university system in the history of the world.
1: Amazing. I think we have time for two more questions. Um, If you haven't, if you don't know yet, we have a book club here. And the final part of Uh, Jason Stanley's fantastic book, How Fascism Works, um, is going to be read and discussed uh, this Sunday. Um, The moderators will put the link in the chat now. Please make sure that you're part of it if you want to read along and discuss further on this book. Um, But Slang asks, do you see a pattern of very strong gun control as part of the point at which fascism breaks out of the democratic model and takes over? For example, disarm the population so they can't rise up, or is it equally true for communism? Is this something that you see as a pattern? Uh,
2: I don't. I don't see. Um, I mean, I think that when you spread guns massively, uh, what are you doing? First of all, you're arming your violent militias because you know gun ownership is vastly more among, say, in the United States. It's vastly more among, uh, say, Trump supporters. Uh, so you're, you're this idea of violent militias. Violent militias are key to fascism. So this idea that is not part of American history but is an imposed part of American history, that you need violent militias in case the government becomes tyrannical, is uh, very worrisome to me. Because you need violent militias to put in the tyrannical person. Uh, So uh, the other thing uh, the mass spread of guns does is it creates the sense of chaos. So it's this mob strategy, right, uh, of spreading violence, of giving people the means for violence in order to say that you need law, you need a strong authoritarian law and order uh, ruler. Um, So, and the, the final thing it does is it, a lot, you know you you create these massive economic differences that trace race so you create urban communities of black americans with that are economically devastated you arrest all the men so the children are are raised uh without families because they're their their parents are serving their fathers serving long a long prison sentence for something he did when he was 17 and uh and then you know you spread a lot of guns, and then you create this idea that oh uh, look um, we've got a lot of black crime. Uh, you remove the point that it's due to intense poverty, and uh, and then you give people this sense that they need a powerful authoritarian ruler, uh, a lawless police force, etc.
1: Okay, final question. Um, possibly Jason might be able to stick around after the recording has finished. So after this next question, I'm going to stop the podcast recording. And if uh, there are if Jason does have any time, he might be able to answer further questions. But just to wrap up the podcast, um, a couple of people have asked this in various forms, Holiver, Zero and MDH have all asked um, something along the lines with uh, what would be your recommendation to act against the development of fascism that is visible right now, based on previous history, or your research?
2: that's the big question right (laughs) so i think you know you you need local engagement school boards you need to see the far right is always planning (laughs) and so you need to and they're aggressive so they're going after school boards uh you need to go to your local school board meeting uh you need to challenge them there they're they're trying to astroturf these uh these these uh takeovers of uh, of they're trying to spread this the the standard fascist tropes your children are under threat from LGBT uh, your children the schools are Marxist and, and filled with idea, anti-white ideology so you need to counter that at the local level and then finally labor unions one thing that emerges in every kind of, you know both from literature on Nazi Germany both from you know Mein, mein Kampf and uh, and the American black freedom struggle is the importance of labor unions. Uh, labor unions, a, a, a multiracial working class fighting for democracy. Uh, you got the teachers unions now standing up against the attack on public schools, the destruction of our public schools. Uh, an uneducated population is a population ready for fascism. Um, so protect the schools and universities, protect protect the the the, the, you know, support labor unions, uh, support workers rights. These seem to be the traditional uh, response solutions to fascism, no accident that we have a fascist social and political movement in a country where they destroyed the labor unions.
1: Education, education, education. Thank you so much, Dr. Jason Stanley, Jacob Buroski, Professor of Philosophy at Yale University. Thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and your work. Thank you to everyone who's joined as well to listen in. Thank you so much uh, for all your time and thank you everyone for joining.
0: Thank you for listening to the Stage Talk. If you'd like to catch a Stage Talk live and ask the guest questions, Join the Bellingcat Discord server by visiting www.discord.gg forward slash Bellingcat. The music you've heard is titled 1983 by Ben Elson and is courtesy of Epidemic Sound.